Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Bath and its baths. Splish, splash. <laughs> this episode, we are headed to Bath with Anne Elliot via the novel Persuasion. At this point in the novel, Anne has settled into Bath, and while her father and sister are busy trying to be besties with Lady Dalrymple, <laughs> Anne is renewing a connection with her school friend, Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith is a widow living in reduced circumstances after the death of her husband. She has come specifically to Bath for the waters as a treatment for rheumatic fever. So we get a little bit of a description of kind of her situation. Mrs. Smith had come to Bath on that account and was now in lodgings near the hot baths, living in a very humble way, unable even to afford herself the comfort of a servant, and of course, almost excluded from society. Her accommodations were limited to a noisy parlor and a dark bedroom behind, with no possibility of moving from one to the other without assistance, which there was only one servant in the house to afford, and she never quitted the house but to be conveyed into the warm bath. Bath as a city and destination was really second only to London for perpetual society and activity during the Georgian era. And it is a city that Austin visited and also embedded into her works. It's essential to the movements and interactions of many of her characters. And as a result, Bath as a topic is far too big to address in just a single episode. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's also one of our most frequently requested. So this is just the first episode in a series that we will continue to develop in relation to Bath. So if you're wondering why we're not digging into Austin's own biographical time in Bath or talking about the pump room in detail, some of those things, it's definitely coming. Right. And we have chosen as our first narrow topic to discuss a bit of the history of Bath as a city, as well as the eponymous Baths that are really the city's initial raison d'etre. These are the baths that drew Mrs. Smith and others from around England and Europe. Bath's origins as a city in some ways center on the story of the legendary Bladded, King of the Britons, who supposedly ruled around 500 BCE. Before his reign, he had contracted leprosy and was forced into a form of exile. He became a swineherd and came across a warm, muddy puddle that the pigs enjoyed and seemingly cured them of their own skin conditions. He decided to try it for himself and had his first mud bath treatment, and it cured his leprosy. He then returned to become king and vaunt the powers of the bath waters. This legend is still visibly celebrated in Bath, thanks in part to the architect John Wood, whose work and influence is still visible all over Bath, since he's one of the central architects of Bath's 18th century renaissance. Wood incorporated several visible references to Bladded in his buildings. Archaeologically, we know that Bath became a significant city in 60 CE when Romans built up a full-blown, thriving spa city and temple called Aquasulis around the naturally occurring hot springs, 
They created the main bath that we think of today by driving oak piles into the mud to create a foundation, building up a stone structure around the springs, then lining the stone chamber with lead. The Roman Baths Museum in Bath is a fabulous resource and experience to learn more about the history of these baths, if you ever get the chance. It's really wonderful. And pretty much all of the above ground structure around this main bath, which is called the King's Bath, was built in the mid 19th century. So the Victorians were doing a lot of renovations here. But if you go through the museum, it's very cool to go under the main streets of Bath and see all the archaeological evidence of this Roman temple. And they continue to make discoveries about this site on a regular basis. They, like, within the past 10 years, found a whole, like, horde of Roman coins. It's very exciting. Bath continued throughout its history to tout the healing powers of its waters, but the city really grew into its reputation and popularity, as Austin and her peers would have understood it, after Queen Anne visited in 1702 and 1703 to try the baths to ease the pain of her gout. And though there was no magical cure of her ailment, it really set the stage for the increase in wealthy patrons that would follow and the real overhaul of Bath as a spa town. During the 18th century, there was a growing body of medical advice that encouraged the use of mineral waters in natural springs for both bathing and drinking. Between 1660 and 1815, nearly 50 spas were founded in England. Horace Walpole, a famous author from the era, once wrote that one would think the English were ducks. They were forever waddling to the waters. So Bath was one of the most popular destinations for this kind of spa treatment. I'm just imagining a bunch of little ducks with, you know, top hats and little <laughs> vests so and things. to get in the water. <laughs> <laughs> what a delightful image. It is. Bath was such a popular destination that local landowners built lodgings to house visitors. According to Deidre Le Fay in her book, Jane Austen, the world of her novels, quote, most of the houses were built on speculation for the tourist trade to be lit as lodgings for short periods. And by the middle of the 18th century, anyone who wished to be considered fashionable had to spend at least a few weeks every year taking the waters at Bath. The season ran from September to May as the three summer months were considered too hot for town. So Bath locals were basically on the Airbnb trend before their time. <laughs> Trendsetters always. Mm -hmm. During this time, Bath was considered one of the most elegant and popular spas in Europe. According to Ian Bradley in his article, Why is 18th Century Bath Considered the Model for Modern Day Spas? He points out that the growing popularity of spas was a direct consequence of the emergence during this period of what would now be called health tourism. The Enlightenment brought a new emphasis across Europe, and especially in Britain, on the environment and the benefits of traveling for healing the body. And according to Bradley, Bath became known as Britain's premier health resort first and foremost on the basis of its claim to be able to diagnose and treat conditions such as gout. He continues to go on and say, as used in the 18th century, when it was perhaps applied more frequently than any other medical term, the word gout covered a multitude of conditions. A very common treatment for gout was a prescription to go to bath and bathe in the healing and restorative mineral waters found there. That is, in fact, what brings the cross to bath, since we learned that they come on the admiral's account, he is thought to be gouty. 
and Mary Musgrove hopes that Bath will do him all the good he wants. And in the case of Mrs. Smith, she is there for her rheumatic fever and is living particularly close to the public baths so that she can access them more readily. So Bath the City has multiple baths that you could attend. And when it came to choosing which of the baths you would attend, you might make your decision based on medical advice or by the temperature of the bath that you wanted. There were a few different public baths, including the King's Bath, which was the most popular of the options. There was also the Queen's Bath, which was connected to the same cistern as the King's Bath, but a smaller and kind of closed off area and a little bit cooler. And these two baths were visible to the public gathered in the pump room. And again, that one will get its own episode. Other options were the cross bath and the hot bath. There were also private baths available too. And according to the original bath guide, considerably enlarged and improved, forming an indispensable pocket companion for the visitor and inhabitant, published in 1818. Seriously, every time we mention these. I love an old-timey title. They're so good. So according to that guide, the king's bath reached 116 degrees Fahrenheit, or 46 degrees Celsius, as did the hot baths. And the cross bath reached temperatures of 96 degrees Fahrenheit, or 35 degrees Celsius. And like we said, the, the queen's bath is attached to the king's bath. It's just a little bit cooler. We also have this from Maggie Lane's book, A Charming Place, Bath in the Life and Novels of Jane Austen. She says, The thermal water rises in three locations within the old city walls, and since medieval times has been collected into the hot bath, the king's bath, and the cross bath, all rebuilt during the 18th century, and each having an associated pump. That attached to the hot bath was known as the Hetling pump, after a wine merchant who once owned the site. <laughs> you know, I just feel like I haven't done anything in my life. Like, why? I want a pump named after me. <laughs> In each location, the water surfaces at a constant temperature. In the hot bath at 120 degrees Fahrenheit, or 49 degrees Celsius. In the king's bath at 114 degrees Fahrenheit, or 46 degrees Celsius. And in the cross bath at 104 degrees Fahrenheit, or 40 degrees Celsius. So those numbers are a little bit different mm -hmm. from what we're getting from the original bath guide. Yeah. I mean... Who can say how accurate their thermometers were back then? <laughs> so according to the bath guide, it continues to provide some of the medical explanations from this era of why bathing was effective and how to get the most out of your time in the water. Quote, the time for bathing is in the morning, fasting at all times of the year, because being refreshed by sleep, we are the better able to bear bathing and digestion being completed, we are not subject to disorders which arise from crudities, such as obstructions, headaches, etc. And fasting, too, because the natural heat being sent out towards the circumference by bathing, digestion would be disturbed were we to go in with a full stomach. You may drink a glass or two of the water while in the bath, it being very refreshing and not only quenches thirst, but also promotes perspiration after. The time of staying in the bath must be regulated by the physician or apothecary according to the patient's strengths and disorder. Go there on an empty stomach. Make sure you've gotten a good night's rest mm -hmm. first thing in the morning. Don't eat anything first because mm -hmm. you might disrupt your digestion. <laughs> this also feels like when you were a kid and your parents are like, you have to wait 
30 yeah, minutes after you eating before you can go swim. Yes. <laughs> it's just like that. Mm-hmm. The reference to drinking a glass or two of water, just to be clear, does not mean that you just bring your own cup to the baths and drink up. Gross. You could have water from, from the pump that was dedicated to drinking water at each of these baths while you bathe. Right. So it's like you're in the pool, there's a swim up bar. Mm-hmm. In my head, I, I like the vision of this, right? Swim up bar for your, for your bath mineral water. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't into the full body soak in the public baths, there were some other options. According to the original bath guide, quote, adjoining to the king's bath are two rooms, one for ladies and the other for gentlemen, in which are pumps for pouring the hot water on any part of the body affected, which has been proved more salutary than bathing the whole body in the common bath. There were also steam rooms available and other rooms like dedicated for medical treatments. So get the whole, the whole spa experience. The bath guide also provides information about the cost of bathing and other treatments. Quote, the expenses attending the baths are as follows. Each person bathing in the open bath to pay one shilling and sixpence for each time of bathing. In the private bath, vapor bath, or sweating room, three shillings. Bathing in the private bath and afterwards using the sweating room or vapor bath, four shillings. And I just wanted to add that there is a little bit of, you know, fine print to this. And, I'm, and it's so good. So it says, the bath and pump to be paid for each time of using. And person bespeaking a bath must pay for the same, though not used unless due notice be given that the bath may be let again. Dresses, towels, and etc. included in the terms. And that just, to me, that sounds like the kind of like the disclaimers at the end of like the fine print and conditions at the end of medical ads. Yeah. Dresses and towels included. <laughs> There is a brief account of what it would have been like to observe bathers in the king's bath from the pump rooms in S.K. Tilliard's book, Aristocrats, Caroline, Emily, Louisa, and Sarah Lennox, 1740 to 1832. Quote, this giant communal cistern was right under the windows of the pump room, open to the gaze of all. Patients sat in the bath with hot water right up to their necks, Men were enveloped in brown linen suits. Women wore petticoats and jackets of the same material. They sat side by side in a hot, faintly sulfurous mist. <laughs> that sounds... So fun. Who wouldn't love that? <laughs> Limp cotton handkerchiefs caught the sweat which dribbled down the bathers' faces. Afterwards, they were tucked away in the brims of patients' hats. Lightweight bowls of copper floated perilously on the water. Inside them, vials of oil and sweet-smelling pomanders bobbed up and down. On a cold morning, the bathers in their caps and hats looked to the curious onlookers pressed against the glass above them like perspiring mushrooms rising into the thick, gaseous air. <laughs> One of the top descriptions ever read on this podcast. The best. Oh, go to bath to be fancy and that's what you look like. <laughs> One of the things that I do actually find fascinating about the scenario, apart from all the great descriptors there, <laughs> is that men and women are able to bathe together. I suppose this is like, this is an apt reminder that the Georgians were significantly less rigid about all sorts of things. So I think that's really fascinating. It's also interesting that the color of the suits is mentioned, but brown linen actually makes sense once you realize that the minerals from the water 
would have stained light linen a brownish tint anyway. So it's kind of just... It's practical. It's very practical, yes. The draw of Bath as a destination for both medicinal bathing and a thriving social scene began to wane before the end of the 18th century, since by that point, sea bathing was starting to become the hydrotherapy du jour. Mm -hmm. So places like Brighton and Weymouth, which we've previously discussed, were the more up-and-coming resort towns by the time Persuasion was written. Right, yeah. And if you were hoping to see a visual depiction of perspiring mushrooms floating in the bath, there is actually a fabulous depiction of what that might have looked like or, and, and what it would have been to soak in these waters in the 1987 adaptation of Northanger Abbey. And so they actually, they do have this scene where Catherine is led into a semi-closed off bath, possibly a replica of the Queen's bath. And everyone is in their very attractive outfits. And Catherine has her little dish with pleasant aromatics and it floats along with her so she doesn't have to smell all of that surf sulfur. And the dish is attached by a ribbon around her neck, so it stays right in front of her while she walks around in this neck-deep water. And I think the scene is a pretty convincing replica of Tilliard's account. Except for, I will say, the ladies are all wearing fancy bonnets with massive feathers in them, and I am suspicious of that detail. Mostly because it just doesn't give you the image of bobbing mushrooms, you know, right. like, like right. a bonnet would, like a plain bonnet. Or a simple cap. Yes. That's giving mushroom vibes. Yeah. Plain bonnets. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. Fancy millinery. It doesn't. Yeah. No mushroom vibes. So I am going to be actually planning to put a clip of this scene in our show notes on our website because you all really, you all really do need to see this. I should also mention if you do get to visit the Roman baths today, you won't be able to get in the water since it is polluted with a dangerous amoeba that can give a form of meningitis. So this is just a PSA so that you can set your expectations accordingly. And again, this is just our first introduction to Bath. Mm -hmm. We are planning to do more episodes on this topic, as well as covering Austin's own connections to the city and her family's connections to the city. So stay tuned. Yes. Have no fear. There's more Bath content coming your way. And if you have been to Bath and want to tell us about it or perhaps share some photos of your trip, you can find us on Instagram at The Thing About Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And we so appreciate everyone who has taken the time to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Yes. It always makes our day. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to share this review from listener, not Marianne Dashwood, great username, <laughs> who says, I ardently admire this podcast. I am a Jane Austen super nerd and read everything and anything Jane Austen related that I can get my hands on. I have been making my way through all the episodes and loving every minute of it. And then not Marianne Dashwood goes on to request an episode on Colonel Brandon's military career. So thank you so much for that kind review. We actually had a couple of people leave episode requests in their reviews, which I think is kind of a fun idea. Yeah, so yeah. if you wanted to leave us a review, hopefully a positive one <laughs> on Apple Podcasts and include your episode topic request in there we would definitely add that to our list. Yes. 
And when we see a lot of people requesting the same topic, it definitely gets boosted up to the top of our planning schedule. And as it happens, this specific request was one we had already in the works. So stay tuned for next episode, where we'll be talking about Colonel Brandon's military career and the East India Company with guest Sharmini Kumar. Thanks for listening. 